0: Lord, you are enough for everything that you put before us, for everything that you call us to, you are enough. Continue to teach us, Lord, what that means. We pray in the name of your son. Amen. Well, good morning, beloved covenant family. Whether you are here in person or online, what a joy to be able to be with you all. And we wanna be able to welcome as a church family, those of you who are new here with us, our visitors, our guests today. We love having you in our home. We're delighted to have you here. We hope that you'll linger a little bit after the service and give us a chance to get to know you. And uh, just to reiterate, uh, Brentley's invitation, I'll be outside right, right after the service and would love to have a chance to get to know you and talk with you a bit. And of course, kiddos, good morning. Kids, do you know how much we love having you here with us in worship? It is such a joy for us to have you. You are such an important part of this church family. So now's the time for you to have the just with other kids time. We're going to allow you to head off and do that. Kids, you are uh, dismissed to your time together. As they go, I just want to remind you, you may have seen this in our E! News I'm going to be taking a prayer retreat this week where I pray by name for every person who's part of the Covenant family. And if there's a specific way that I could be praying for you, I would love to know that. And that's true for our kids and for our students as well. If there's something specifically on your heart that you would appreciate prayer for, please let me know. And it'll be a joy to do that. Just send me an email. Okay, well, if you are just joining us, we are right in the middle of a short series on finding rest in God. Last Sunday, we were focused on finding rest in God in the middle of wearying circumstances. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I would really encourage you uh, to go back and listen to that message. I think it really connected with a lot of people. One update that you will be, I know, pleased to know about. Last Sunday, I shared with you about this moment where I stood in front of the water wall, the flavored water wall at Payless, trying to make a decision and... And ultimately coming away unsatisfied. Well, I am happy to let you know that my frustration has come to an end. Somebody in the congregation thoughtfully left this on my porch for me this week. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I think uh, it's pretty clear that after standing there for ten minutes, that I kind of lost perspective. So I'm glad to know that, for you to know that, I finally found my focus. Sorry, was that a little canned? Some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? All right, moving on. Last Sunday, we considered what it was about life that makes us so weary and how to find rest in God in the middle of that. Well, this morning, we're going to shift our focus just a little bit and focus on what it is about the Christian life that can make us so weary and how to find rest from God in the middle of that. Full disclaimer, in case you haven't noticed, the Christian life is hard. There are so many demands and expectations that are put before us as followers of Christ, aren't there? Love your neighbor. Seek justice. Lay down your life for your brother or sister. Take up your cross. Love your enemies. Use your gifts to serve the church. Forgive those who hurt you. Share the hope that you have within you, live in harmony with one another, advance the kingdom, honor God in the way that you use your finances, take care of the widow and orphan, practice hospitality, consider one another more important than yourselves. I could easily go on. In the face of so many expectations and commands and expectations and requirements, it would be so easy for us to just slide into thinking that living our lives for Jesus is really just a huge and draining burden. Mind to muster up, mind to muscle, mind to master, and that is exhausting. Here's why this discussion this morning is so important. Do you want to live the life that God intends you to live? You want to make the difference in this world that God intends for you to make? If your answer is yes, but your experience of the Christian life is exhausting, if following Jesus just feels wearying and burdensome, then that's not going to be the way to live the sort of life for which God made you. At some point, the weariness will catch up with you. And at that point, you're likely to stall out or to burn out or to flame out. But a Christian life in which we feel empowered and rejuvenated will be a joy to us and one that we can sustain with joy for a lifetime, even when it's difficult, and it will be. Last Sunday, we talked about two different ways of making sense of the relationship between God and our circumstances that has everything to do with whether or not we will experience rest when things get difficult. Well, today we'll discover that there is a similar decision point in front of us related to two completely different ways of understanding the relationship between our effort and God's effort in the Christian life. Leading to a huge difference in the extent to which we will experience rest and peace as followers of Christ. So just to step back very quickly to give us a little bit of context to remind us, Let's think about what it is that the Bible teaches us about how the Christian life is meant to unfold. Starting point, step one, according to scripture, even though we were made for for a relationship with God, that's why we exist, it's why we are here. The fact is that before God graciously intervenes, we all find ourselves outside of a relationship with God. We are in a state of spiritual alienation and death. Made for relationship with God, but estranged from God and actually rebellious towards God. I just lost where I was. Sorry. Where am I? Here we go. (laughs) Thank you. So here's how Paul describes the situation where we find ourselves outside of God's gracious intervention. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Okay, so then, Second, this is what happens. Then, by the the grace of God and through no effort or merit of our own, God begins to awaken us spiritually and draw us to himself. He moves us to begin to recognize his love for us, which is found in ultimate expression in the death of Jesus on the cross in our place. And then he brings us to a place where we begin to trust Jesus and to trust what he has done to reconcile us with God, and we entrust our lives to him by faith. Paul captures this spiritual awakening in the next few verses in Ephesians chapter two, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God saved you by his grace when you believe and you can't can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. So let me just ask before we go on, have you taken that step of faith? Have you received the gift of God's saving work? Have you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because that is the door that we need to walk through into which then we can enter and begin to experience the life that God has for us in relationship with him. So then we embark on the Christian life. We've been brought to life spiritually. We've been reconciled to God. We've been given God's spirit and a new spiritual nature. We have been folded into the family of faith. Now what? Well, the moment we take our first step, we start coming across passages like this one. Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And all the other passages like it, some of which I've already mentioned, in which, and, and almost immediately, we are struck by the weight of it all. It's at this point that we are presented with two options. Option one, the Christian life as burden. With this first option, the basic way that I understand the Christian life, it is that it is the work that I do for God, with, God, with which God will hopefully be pleased one day, and for which hopefully he'll reward me, And at some point, at the other end of it all, I'm hoping that there is some sort of finish line that I can collapse across and finally rest from all of my hard work of following Jesus. It's tied in with a view of Jesus and his sacrifice of the sort that's captured in this painting by Domenico Fetti. It's a picture of Jesus just after he was beaten by the Roman soldiers and just before he's led off to the cross, And across the bottom are written words in Latin. And in case we don't notice them, Jesus draws our attention to them by pointing to them with at least six of his ten fingers. And they say, all this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? Which sounds so close to being right and God-honoring that we may miss the fact that it is actually grounded in really unsound theology. Rewriting the sacrifice that stands at the heart of the Christian faith, which the Bible teaches us was by definition unearned and undeserved. And it turns that instead into a debt that we need to pay back. It feels uncomfortably like that moment towards the end of the movie, Saving Private Ryan, when Captain Miller has finally tracked down Private Ryan in the front lines of the war, and he's gone there to inform him that he's released from his military service and he can go home. But just before they can make it back, they come uh, under attack, and Captain Miller is wardly, mortally wounded, wounded, and just before he dies, he takes hold of Private Ryan's arm, and he looks him in the eye, and he says, with his last breath, earn this. Earn it. Do you notice the irony? Suddenly, the sin at the heart of my rebellion against God... My posture of prideful self-reliance becomes a spiritual virtue as I am called to craft a life pleasing to God out of my own resources. So in this first way of understanding the Christian life, my effort to follow Jesus becomes just that, my effort, work I do for God as I try out of my own capacity to meet one expectation after another, after another. Anybody tired yet? There's a remarkable passage in the book of Isaiah that captures with eerie accuracy how this version goes. Isaiah chapter 28, 12 and 13, God said to them, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose, but they wouldn't listen. So then the word of God to them will become, do this, do that a rule for this, a rule for that, a little here, a little there, so that as they go, they will fall backward and they will be injured and snared and captured. Does that feel familiar to anyone? Sometimes the Bible can be so wonderfully blunt in a way that just kind of brings jarring moments of self-recognition. And one of those places is in the beginning of Galatians chapter three, where Paul says, you fools, you fools. Who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Which brings us, thankfully, to the second option, the Christian life as gift. If the burden option is based on the work that I do for God, the gift option is an understanding of the Christian life that is based on the work that God does in and through me with which I am called to cooperate. Perhaps the passage that captures this best is the familiar one in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. A yoke, that wooden bar that goes across the neck of animals, that's tied to burdens that they are hauling along behind them, that was a common metaphor for two things in the ancient world that come together here. First, the weight of responsibility that fell to you when someone ruled over you and you were that person's subject and the set of requirements or rules that you needed to keep if you were part of a religion. Jesus doesn't say there is no yoke. There is a burden of responsibility that falls to us as Christians that we are called to fulfill. But look what he does say. He says this burden isn't anything like the burden of other religions and other rulers. In Matthew chapter 23, verse four, he says, the Pharisees tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders. Not me, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. The kind of yoke that Jesus refers to is a yoke with two side-by-side harnesses. Jesus says, I will share the weight of whatever burden I place on your shoulders. A couple of years ago, the alternator on our Honda went out and it died, the car died, just as I was uh, kind of rolling into the intersection at Sagamore and Greenbush, not exactly an untraveled intersection. And I was sitting there in the car in that moment thinking, great, now what do I do? I can stay in the car and steer it and it's gonna roll forward two feet and stop. That doesn't get me anywhere. Or I can get out of the car and push it, and who knows where it's going to go in this intersection. About 14 seconds after my car died, I hardly had time to even get one prayer out of my mouth. Suddenly, Jim Cornelison, who's part of our church family, pulls up immediately behind me in the intersection, hops out of his car, says, David, hop in the car, you steer, I'll push. And he pushed it across the intersection. We found a place to be able to park it, Then off he went. After making sure I was taken care of, he didn't leave me there floundering. (laughs) That's what it looks like to share a yoke with someone. In what way does Jesus share the weight of the expectations that he places on us concerning how the Christian life should be lived? Well, that's the focus of the rest of this message. And I think it is so important for us to grasp if we want to experience rest in the Christian life, the Scriptures teach us that there are, there are two remarkable ways that that Jesus does this, and both of them are ones that foster humble dependence upon God, the greatest virtue in the Christian life, rather than prideful self-reliance, which is the greatest sin in the Christian life. So, let me just remind you of these two. Here is the first way that Jesus shares the weight of the expectations that He holds before us as Christians, and that is. He offers us his empowering presence. His life is poured into me and through me. If I am a follower of Jesus, then Jesus has taken up residence in me by his spirit and I can draw on his supernatural power as he lives his life in me and through me. Listen to three verses among many that remind us of this miraculous truth. John chapter seven, verses 37 to 39, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That means that there will be times, many times, when we will come to the end of ourselves as finite and fallen human beings, but we will not come to the end of the Spirit who is within us. And we can look to him, we can call on him, we can open ourselves up to him, we can invite him to do in us and to do through us in that moment what we are not capable of doing ourselves. As Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Let me just give you a recent example from my own life. I think it was 4 days after I brought Sharon home from her surgery from the hospital that our sink backed up. And actually, more accurately, one whole end of our one whole half of our house backed up. And it all backed up in a pipe on the other end of the house right before it went out into the sewer. So, it wasn't just our disposal, but it was the sink next to our disposal and our dishwasher and our washing machine and our laundry room sink all began to back up. And as the pressure built up, uh, a slightly loose cap under the kitchen sink began to leak, and that leaked into the cabinet and then through the kitchen floor and then through the basement ceiling and down into the apartment where Sharon's mom now lives with us. Uh-oh is pretty accurate. I remember in that moment, this th- th- dawning on me what was happening, and I remember thinking how incredibly tired I was, that I just did not have it. For this. And I remember, by the grace of God, just crying out for his help. God, I do not have what this takes. Please give me in this moment what I don't have. And he did. Instead of reacting, I, he just brought me into a place of, of, of beginning to think clearly and drawing on resources we have and figuring out how to, how to get the leak to stop and figure out how to catch the water that was dripping down, down below. And, and then I uh, God brought to mind the name of a guy who'd helped us in a similar situation 15 years before, and I called him and he, he, his answering machine said uh, that his next available appointment was eight days from then. Ah! So I left a message anyways and tried to keep working on it. I got a call back 10 minutes later. He said, hey, guess what? Our afternoon appointment just canceled. We'll be there in 15 minutes. I'd like to say it always goes that way. It doesn't always go that way, as you well know. But I sure was glad it did this time. But the the thing that I want you to notice is what was going on in me that was the gracious work of God outside of me, in me, through me, that I didn't have the strength to do in myself. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, you and I as followers of Christ are called upon to face things that are beyond what we have to deal with them all the time, every day. Wrongs that feel too big to forgive. Decisions that feel too big to make. Sacrifices that feel too hard to make, conversations that feel too hard to have, conflicts that feel too hard to resolve, annoyances that feel too hard to overlook. Lord, by your spirit, please give me what I don't have. Live your life in and through me. And he does, and he will when we invite him to. That is a prayer that Jesus, our yoke fellow, delights to answer again and again. And we say, thank you, Jesus. But there's even more to the miracle of God's spirit at work within us. And I just want to make sure we don't end the morning without noticing this too. Here's the second way that Jesus shares the weight of the expectations that he holds before us as Christians. And that is by making his transforming power available to us to change us. Not only is his life poured into me and through me by his empowering presence. But miracle of miracles, more and more over time, his life is formed in me by his transforming power. When I become a follower of Christ, I am told by scripture that I become a new person in Christ. I am born all over again into a new life. And more and more, the evidence of that transformation will slowly begin to rise to surface in my life. Here are three passages among many that speak of this interior transformation that God works in us and expects in us as followers of Christ. His making us into Jesus-like people. Philippians two thirteen. It is God who is at work in you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Second Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen. We are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And this interesting passage, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. That last one is fascinating because it's the concluding line in a paragraph that describes a life where we don't just talk about doing good, but we actually do it. Sharing with those in need, making sacrifices for the sake of others, caring for our brother or sister in Christ, John's letter, as you probably know, his first letter is all about the evidence that will show up in the life of someone whose conversion and new life in Christ is for real. Sacrificial love for others has only one possible source and one possible explanation. God has done a work in us. He is forming his life in us, the likeness of his son. And the evidence of that as we trip over it and come across it in ourselves, that sets our hearts at rest in his presence. Let me just share another example from my, my, our recent life. An example of the way that Jesus forms his life in us. One night, not long after Sharon came home, I had to get up about five times in the space of less than an hour just to help her with different things that she needed. Um, Filling up the ice machine and then putting that on and and then taking that off a little bit later and getting water and getting meds and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I find myself reacting with, wearily, yes, but cheerily, happy to serve and without any resentment, as in not what comes naturally to me. About the fifth time, as I put my head down on the pillow, I remember thinking, wait, is anybody else seeing this? Being awakened five times in in an hour in the middle of the night, and I'm reacting with patience and a gladness to serve and a willingness to do more. And it was coming from me, from a transformed, Christ-like, Spirit-empowered part of me that God, by His Spirit, had formed in me over time. 40 years of following Jesus, 40 years of asking Jesus to do in me what I can't do in myself, 40 years of asking him to form his likeness in me by his spirit, and here is compelling evidence that he's actually doing it. I fell asleep, my heart set at rest in his presence, saying, Thank you, Jesus. The Christian life is involved, you know that. It involves worship, plus discipleship, plus fellowship plus ambassadorship, plus more. It's costly. We are called to love and to build up the body of Christ and to love and reach out to our neighbors in sacrificial ways. It's demanding. We are called to lay down our lives for Jesus and for others. And it's weighty. Nothing less than the privilege of serving the king, representing him in this world, advancing the kingdom, and putting it on display to the people that God places around us. But involved and costly and weighty and demanding as it is, it need not be a weary burden for us as God's people. For the Lord whom we serve offers to serve us as we serve him, empowering and transforming us by his Spirit as we invite him and open ourselves up to him so that the life we live for him more and more becomes the life that he lives in us. And it becomes a joy and not a burden, a joy and a wonder. He steps into the very yoke into which he calls us, and our burden becomes his, and his rest becomes ours. In his wonderful short book, Surrender to Love, which I'd really encourage you to read, David Benner describes how learning to relinquish our Christian lives to Jesus, turning them over to him, and trusting his work within us is like learning to float. He says, Christian surrender is saying yes to God's yes to me. It begins as I experience his loving affirmation of me. It grows out of soaking myself in this love so thoroughly that love for God springs up in response. Surrender to his love is the work of his spirit, making his love ours and his nature ours. This is the core of Christian spiritual transformation." Surrender is the response of the heart that knows that since God is for me, nothing can come between me and the perfect love that surrounds me, and he will support me regardless of my effort, my response, or even my attention. Considering how easy and natural floating is, I am amazed at how much energy I expend treading water. The lie I seem to believe is that my efforts are keeping me afloat, perhaps even keeping me moving through the water. The reality is that all they do is tire me out. Hold me in the same place and deprive me of the joyous discovery that I am supported. It's no wonder that I long for rest. Trying to stay afloat and move through the water on my own energy satisfies my willful sense of independence. But it leaves me exhausted. And I never seem to get where I think I should be going. And then in exhaustion, I momentarily surrender. I relax I allow my full weight to be supported by the Spirit, and not only do I float, but I flow with the current. I hadn't even been aware that there was a current. My thrashing about in the water made me oblivious to its presence and its force. Then now I begin to know what I was fighting. To fail to go with the flow is to try to push the river. But the river, God's Spirit, does not need my help. Do you want to live the life that God intends you to live? Do you want to make the difference in this world that God intends you to make? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. I invite you to just take a moment to respond to God's invitation this morning as our worship team comes up and readies to lead us out of our prayer and into our closing worship. In quiet now, what is your response to God's invitation to you this morning?